Action Monday. Tell us all about it. Joe Foley caught at the 21 yard line. Xavier Legat with back to back catches. And he's got the game box inside the 25. Sponsored by Carolina Honda Powerhouse, your local Honda superstore for motorcycles, ATVs, side-by-sides, scooters, and generators. CarolinaHonda.com. Your home of the Gamecocks in the Midlands. 107.5 The Game. Also heard on the Grand Strand at 100.3 The Game. And in the PD at 100.5 The Game in Florence. And welcome in to In the Bonus. I'm Tyler Head alongside Colin Taylor on your Reaction Monday. It's going to be a long day, Colin. It's uh, it's going to be a long two weeks. Yes. Uh, entering um, entering the bye week, uh, limping a little bit are the Gamecocks after a rough outing on Saturday night. 41-20 loss to Tennessee up there at, uh, at Rocky Top. Man, it was a long night. In a lot of ways, yes. Um, we were talking even before going on air. Like, the bye week is the one teams always want to win. Sure. Just because of the... You want to win every game, do not get me wrong. But you want to win that bye because you have a week off. Makes practice, going to practice the Monday through Wednesday this week a little bit sweeter. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a lot of... Mope, you know, you hope that there's not a lot of moping now. But it just makes a lot, a lot of things easier... It's a little bit mentally less challenging, and then you kind of carry some momentum into practice and into everything else that's going on. I'm a firm believer in momentum in sports. Yeah. And, you know, putting together drive after drive, scoring touchdowns, whatever it may be, but, like, that mindset of being able to go into the bye week saying, hey, we won our last game, we looked good in X, Y, and Z. Sure, we need to clean up whatever areas, but you feel good going to that bye week knowing that you've won a game. Now you have to stew on this for two weeks before Florida comes to town next Saturday it's so much easier to go out and correct things because it's like okay well yeah we missed this like the DeCaron Joyner run against Mississippi State it's like sure yeah we missed two blocks we didn't block the front or the backside backer but hey great individual effort we'll clean it up and we'll move on right um but it's like when when you go and play a game like that and then all of a sudden it's yeah well we got physically beat at times but we also shot ourselves in the foot a ton, and you're watching that film, and you're kind of sick watching it. Right. Then it, it gets tough, and it kind of wears on you mentally. And, you know, anytime you mess up, and you can't wait to get back into, like, if I mess up and say something stupid during a radio show, I can't wait to get back on tomorrow and sure, try to it. correct it. Now you got to wait for 13 days yeah. or whatever it is. And, and that just, that can wear on you mentally. And um, getting a break this week, I think, will help. But also you kind of worry about the lingering effects of losing that way on the road, um, coming back and, and playing a very a really pivotal stretch now if you're South Carolina when it comes to trying to get to a bowl game. And it's not not looking very easy right now. Um, no, that path is uh, that path can get tough. This right and this as a whole is just weird this year, right? Like we f- we think we know about one team one week, and then the next week it's like, oh well, maybe they aren't very good. And far as perfect example of that, you dominate Tennessee a couple weeks ago and get just crushed by Kentucky for the third straight year, by the way, this past weekend. It's like, I mean, I, how, how good is Florida? I don't but, know. Uh, like, 
it, it's weird because it's there's a lot of meh probably this year in the SEC more so than in years past. Like you have Georgia, and even there, like, and they're ugh, I mean, but they, like, they squeaked one out on the plains on Saturday. And it's a lot of that might be you know Carson back in his first road start, all that. But it's just like you're you have Georgia, and, I, and oddly enough, I think you have Missouri in that top tier of the SEC. Who would have expected us to be saying that? Right. But then you have another tier under that of Kentucky, of Florida, of maybe Tennessee's in tier two by themselves, just based on the the predictive metric stuff. But, you know, Florida's 34th in S&P Plus. Uh, Auburn's 36th in S&P Plus. Kentucky's 21, Ole Miss 22, LSU 24. Um, South Carolina's sitting there as I scroll um, I mean, it, it goes without saying, South Carolina's in the bottom two of the East with Vanderbilt right now. Yeah, and that's just how it is right now because it's it's tough. South Carolina's 41st in S&P Plus right now. 27th offensively, 78th defensively. You're an offensive football team right now, and the offense, I'm not going to say let you down, but sure. really struggled for consistency hmm. Saturday night. And we'll dive into all the specifics, offense, defense, and special teams, but I want to get your gauge, the atmosphere on Saturday night. We obviously knew it was going to be a hostile crowd, people very fired up about what happened when Tennessee came to town last fall. We heard some not-safe-for-work chants being made uh, towards South Carolina as the game went along, like being there in person. What, what, was, uh, what was the experience like? It was maybe the most hostile, non-Clemson mm-hmm. environment I've been in. And I haven't been to LSU and it for full tilt mm-hmm. yet but um yeah it was about as hostile an environment i spent i had a buddy who went to the game so i, I went to see him a little bit on the concourse about 90 minutes ish um right about an hour before kick and mm-hmm. the energy was there uh there were a lot it was it was hostile and there was a lot of um a lot going on and so yeah south carolina went into maybe the most hostile place they're going to play not loudest I'm not talking to you, Kirby, but from a hostility standpoint, maybe the most hostile place they're going to play this year. I'll, I'll see. I'll, I'll say watching this on TV, it sounded pretty loud too. Yeah, it was loud. Like, oh, it was loud. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but it was when you talk about the hostility of it, it was unlike yeah. anything I had seen in a very, uh, very long time. Uh, Bill and Preston were talking about this on the early game a little bit earlier today, and obviously we know that just like the Georgia series, just like the Florida series, it's all coming to an annual end this season because, of course, the new scheduling with the SEC, all three of those teams are not on South Carolina's schedule in 2024. Does it seem like, you know, and again, South Carolina does not have a specific rival necessarily in the SEC compared to what the other teams in the conferences do. Does it seem like Tennessee is maybe the closest thing to that, given how competitive this matchup has been over the past couple decades, specifically the past, you know, 12 years? Yeah, what happened last year down in or here in uh, Columbia, you have this game in uh, Knoxville. Like it just seems like it's taken on a little bit more of a personal tone here as of late. Yes, I think so. And and even when we talked about it last week and how close it's been, you've split the last eighteen games. You've scored almost identical amount of points, and so yes, I do think that this is really, really, really one of those rivalry games that South Carolina and Tennessee fans both especially over the last 20 years, have kind of looked for because they've been, for the most part, on similar footing mm-hmm. in the conference, and it's been competitive. And, yeah, I do think it's a rivalry, and 
when you take into account Tennessee knocking South Carolina off in 2013 and then South Carolina knocking off Tennessee last year, there's a lot of animosity to it. And it's kind of funny, you know, kind of thinking back to those 11-win seasons under Spurrier a decade ago where South Carolina was kind of like just about to break through into that next level in the SEC. It seemed like they have someone to the one SEC championship game in 2010. You kind of feel like that's where Tennessee at least views itself right now. And mm-hmm. obviously last year they played, they had a very good season when it was all said and done, and they're off to a decent start this year as well. It feels like they're just getting ready to break through into that next level. And, of course, South Carolina prevented them from really getting there a season ago. Yeah, and that's... <laughs> Trust me, they have not forgotten about that one. Oh, I know. They have not forgotten. I, I was I, I really thought Hypo was gonna try and run the score up at the end there. Just as a little I, I did think that he was gonna try and go and score again and he didn't. And um I was on the field for the final five minutes ish of mm-hmm. that game and it was it was loud. Yeah. They there were not a lot of people that decided to dip early from that one and, and savor getting to beat South Carolina at home and I'm not a big fan of avenging losses because, like, you're not going to retroactively go put Tennessee back in the 2022 college football playoff because they beat South Carolina. Wait, get the committee back right, together. Like, Come they're on. not going to do that. But um, after stewing for, what is that, 11 months-ish? Mm, yeah, right about 10 it. months-ish. To have that moment, they, they savored it. And for oh, yeah. South Carolina... You walk away saying you missed a lot of chances. Well, and I know a lot of people were taking issue with what Spencer Rattler said after the game of like, this is their, this was their Super Bowl. Like, kind of felt like it. It kind of felt like it. Felt like it. This was their, like, hey, this is the team that kept us from achieving our dreams a season ago. Let's go put it to them. And that's what they did on Saturday night. Now they can focus on the next objective, which I guess would be Alabama in a couple of weeks. I'm not. Tennessee, I think Tennessee, when you look up, you're going to be like, okay, that's a solid, that defense, man. I was not as big a believer. They, uh, yeah, they showed out. I was, I thought they were solid. I did, but I just, you just don't know because they played Virginia and Austin P. And sure, man, no, that, that front. Now, South Carolina's offensive line is, I would consider, not very good right now. Um, but yeah, that defensive front, man. And those linebackers are really good. And South Carolina had no answer for them all night. And I thought they would, which is why I thought it would be a lot closer. And the fact that they didn't speaks a little bit to South Carolina offensively and a little bit to what that what what is well, and should it, be a, a fairly good Tennessee front. Here's the thing. They came in with 16 sacks on the season, which I think they were tied for like third nationally with like Southern Cal and Teams like that, and, and yes, you can look at the quality of their opponents come into the game, you know, Virginia, Austin P, uh, UTSA a couple of weeks ago, like, and say, all right, well, still, sacks are sacks at the end of the day. And I feel like that's one of those stats that you can not negate the opponent a little bit there because you look at a team like Georgia, which has a very good offensive front as well. They weren't getting sacks against the way that, Ball State. Yeah. They weren't getting sacks against... Um, UAB at the clip that Tennessee was against some of those teams. So I feel like that's one of those stats that, regardless of the opponent, still tells you how good that defense is. Yeah, and I think it's it's about pressures, but it's also about turning pressures into sacks, and they've done a good job of that as well. And Spencer Rattler didn't have an answer. There were times where he maybe hold, held on to the ball too long. There were times where the, the pocket did hold up and he wasn't able to make a throw. And I think you walk away from that not with 
saying no section of the offense played their their best game. That right. you got either average or below average performances from every phase, every single level of that offense. We'll Saturday dive, night. We'll dive into the specifics of the offense coming up. You're listening to in the bonus. He's Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head on a reaction Monday here on the game. Not really. Um, you know, we knew eventually teams, because of what Leggett has done, that you know, teams are going to um, not necessarily double, t- double him, but you know, they kind of do what they they did what they do, and try to take Xavier Leggett away. And we've got to be able to run the ball. We've got to be able to um, protect the quarterback better. We were trying to <clears throat> help with protection. We were chipping. We were trying to do everything you could from that standpoint, still give up too much pressure. But now um, we just got to execute better. Welcome back into In the Bonus. Colin Taylor, Tyler Head, along with you on this Reaction Monday. That, of course, was the voice of Coach Beamer. Saturday night talking about if Tennessee really did anything special on defense that caused the offensive woes that we saw up there in Neyland Stadium. And he said it wasn't really anything too special. The offense as a whole just struggling on Saturday night. We'll dive into that a little bit now. One hey, Alex, the Love Chevrolet phone lines. Welcome in Lawrence, who wants to talk a little bit about the offense on Saturday. Lawrence, thanks for your call. What's uh, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I've got uh, several questions. One is um, why didn't um, uh, another uh, somebody else besides uh, the quarterback do a quarterback sneak um, besides Rattler uh, when there was a fourth down situation, on a couple of situations, uh, they could have inserted uh, you know, the other quarterback in there. Also, is this uh, is our four games or five games, whatever it is, with um, with um, the offensive coordinator better than Satterfield last year? And secondly, this is his first year as a full-time college coordinator, Dow Law Games. And I'm an Arkansas fan, but also a Carolina fan. And I appreciated Daryl Dowell coming over and look forward to more out of him. But I was wondering, uh, you know, about some of the situations with fourth down. Thank you. Yep, absolutely. Appreciate your call, Lawrence. Um, yeah, a lot to unpack there and a whole lot to unpack from the offense as a whole on Saturday night. Uh, I hit the first thing that you talked about there, the, the fourth and one. Um, Spencer Rattler is not the biggest guy in the world. No. Um, he's doesn't, you know, he, he's not going to get you the same push in a fourth mm. and one situation as like a KJ Jefferson out of Arkansas or something like that. Lawrence brings up a good point. You know, it, would that could potentially be a situation? Maybe you think about like a Sellers. Now, if you're going like or a Tim, Doty or, or a Doty or somebody like that, maybe with somebody a little bit more broad, they can give you a little bit more push there. It's certainly a question to be asked. Now, of course, if you're going tempo, trying to go fast, you may not have time to do that substitution, but it didn't it didn't work too well with Spencer Rattler doing it. So it's definitely a conversation worth having. Yeah, I that was there were a few head scratchers on my end of decision making. And I understand why they did it. Is it what I would have done? Probably not. I didn't like going tempo there to try to catch what is a good Tennessee defense off guard. That Tennessee defense practices against tempo a lot. Yes. That Tennessee offense is tempo heavy kind of predicated on tempo so on that one I thought based on where I was in the press box that that third down run was a little bit closer Mm -hmm. I thought they should have at least measured or called for a measurement or and called for maybe not a review but just give you some time to get the right personnel in there and you know tush push it 
um eagle style yeah like i don't think they tush pushed her they did the the back was like getting there and um it just looked clunky that fourth down and i i think south carolina probably wishes they maybe had that one back because the offensive line had been getting pushed mo- most of the night and that was a huge swing moment and to not to not call for a measurement there just to see and give players a chance to catch their breath and know they're going for it uh, is kind of because Shane knew, Dowell knew, was a missed opportunity in my book that I think could have been handled differently. Yeah, and look, we, we've lofted a lot of praise Dowell Loggins away through these first four games of the season because, again, it's not a perfect offense. You had issues on the offensive line, obviously very depleted at the running back spot. All that considered, we feel like he's called... Very good games. Mm-hmm. Saturday night, do definitely have some questions starting to creep up a little bit. And going back to that third and short, going back to the fourth and one, like those are scenarios. And Terry and I were out at O'Hara's for the watch party. You know, I, I don't get doing delayed handoffs, the halfback draw on a third and one, on a third and two. When, when you know you have issues on the offensive line and Tennessee is just getting penetration right off the jump in every single play, especially when you're heading to the carry on joiner, like how do you think that's going to go? Right, yeah, they they handed Juju McDowell on third and one. They do a, it just their short yardage situation, their short yardage execution and situational play calling on third and short just wasn't good. They were one for seven, yeah, on third downs of four yards or less. Yeah, one two, for seven, two and fourteen as a whole. One for seven. Yeah, four of nineteen on third and fourth downs combined. That that doesn't win you football games. Period but especially against a top 25 caliber opponent on the road in that environment. You needed to be able to sustain drives, and you didn't. Every time you had the momentum, every single time, it's you You failed to capitalize. You fake a punt, and you get down to plus territory, and I think you go backwards after that and then mm-hmm. fail on a, a fourth down. Right. You get in a, a turnover, and you have a chance to go make it a one-score game, or you get a stop, and you have a chance to make it a one-score game, and you fail on fourth down again on the, the quarterback sneak. So it's just... All of those things combined together, and all of a sudden, you're staring in the barrel of a, a 21-point loss. We've talked so much about this offensive line. Mm-hmm. The tackles. Tree and Wanamaker just got bullied all night on Saturday. Yes. Um, they, they were on roller skates the entire game. Do you know the only offensive lineman, because I looked it up yesterday, the only offensive lineman to not allow multiple pressures? Saturday that's, night. That'd be Lee, right? Would be Vershawn Lee. He's the only offensive lineman to not allow multiple pressures. In every, that game. Everybody else gave up at least five, right? Every single player. Um, as you look, South Carolina allowed 25 pressures. 25 pressures Saturday night. Babalade allowed eight on 47. They all had 47 pass block snaps. Babalade had allowed eight. Wanamaker. Ball and Garzulo all allowed five. Knox allowed one. Trey Knox allowed one as a tight end. And Vershawn Lee added one as a center. But when your starting tackles combine to have 13 pressures allowed, you're not going to have a lot done. And when your interior has allowed 10, mm-hmm. it's it just you, you, you can't do much. I'll say this as well. Spencer Rattler did put himself in some tough situations, too. This is not all on the offensive line. There were a couple of moments when he took off or stepped up too far in the pocket and kind of walked into some of those. Like So this isn't entirely the offensive line. Rattler did make some mistakes there. And Rattler just, as a whole, 
didn't have a great night. He and off. He looked very off. I think the pick six he threw was kind of an embodiment of the entire night for him because, and yes, he, he did have pressure there, but just a very ill-advised throw, threw it a mile above Omega Blake's head and, and right into the defender's hands who was able to walk in the end zone with ease. Like, that was the Rattler that we saw in the first 10 games of last season that we haven't really seen, you know, any of this season, and mm-hmm. there he was on Saturday night. Yeah, so Rattler under pressure. He was pressured on, so the 25 pressures came on 19 dropbacks. He was 4 of 10 for 6 yards against pressure with an interception, 6 sacks, and 3 throwaways. Now, he did scramble 3 times. He got 3 first downs on scrambles. He was really good when he was able to escape the pocket and run. I thought he was really good in that regard. But 4 for 10 for 6 yards against pressure. Now, he wasn't good, but it just, and even when he was hitting those quick hitters to the, the perimeter, it just seemed off. Like, the, the placement of the ball was off. We, we raved about that hit to Leggett um, against Mississippi State where mm-hmm. they ran the same play on the first drive against Tennessee, and Rattler kind of underthrows it or throws it to where Xavier has to kind of adjust his body and can't catch and run after it, and it yeah. turns into a third-yard fail on that one. So just it, off with ball placement most of the night, too. Uh, uh, Terry and I were talking about this as we were watching the game at his O'Hara's on Saturday. Were they Was their defense in cover one most of the time? It, it looked like it. Because it seemed like they were bringing, which makes sense, they were bringing the safety to cover Leggett pretty much every play. Yeah, they bracketed, they shaded him. They Tennessee did a good job of saying, we're going to take away your best option. And if you beat and us they, with Trey Knox, if you beat us with Mario Anderson, that's cool, and South Carolina wasn't able to. And this is where you run into the problems of not having somebody like Juice Wells on that other side, where it's like, okay, we take away X, we still have Juice on this other side, we can get at him, we know he can make these kind of plays. And that's no disrespect to Omega Blake, to Luke Doty, Tyshawn Wanamaker, whoever, whoever you want to throw in there. But there's a reason that you have one guy that's definitively your best wide receiver. And, you know, again, if you have Juice Wells, you have that other guy that's on, on that more top tier. And when you're missing one of them, it allows that defense to key in on somebody and take them away. And then you're forced, okay, let's see what we can do with the rest of these guys. Yeah, this this game was what your offense looks like when it's not creating explosive plays at a hit rate good enough to win you ball games. Yeah. When you have to sustain, that's tough, and that's not that's not an offense that's able to sustain right now, because a lot, I, because your offensive line is just not good enough yep. to have perfect blocking for 13, 12 plays and not hit explosives doing it can be really tough. And I think we're at this point now. We're five games into the season. We've pretty much solidified who the starting five are. And yeah, you had Kai Moore who was dealing with an injury, so maybe a little bit of change there. It's not going to get drastically better in these final seven games. No, Could it get a little bit better? Sure. But it's not going to be this overnight change. All right, well, now suddenly we're running for 200 yards a game and, and all this kind of stuff. Like, this is what you're going to have to deal with for the rest of the season. Yeah, and, you know, some problems you can coach your way out of, some problems you have to recruit your way out of. And I think there are a couple positions where at some point you're just, it's not going to happen this year, and then maybe you just recruit your way out of it. It can get better, but right. to get it up to a, a good enough standard, you're going to have to recruit out of it. Speaking of getting up to a new standard, we got to talk about this defense coming up. It was a long night in Neyland Stadium for the defense especially. Hit that coming back. You're listening to In the Bonus. He's Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head. Reaction Monday. Here on the game. We did what we needed to do. You know, it came in at halftime. I think they had like 80 yards rushing. And other than hitting that one deep ball where the kid made a hell of a catch on our sideline, they really hadn't done much in the passing game. And, um, you know, so I thought they – Gave us an opportunity in the second half. They got some stops. And then, you know, disappointing thing is we cut it to a two-score game with about nine minutes left. And 
need to go out there and be able to get a stop. And unfortunately, we gave up a 75-yard touchdown drive. And uh, it was kind of the story of the game or story of the night. or the, 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 the that, that got us on that one. Um, so, you know, we were out there, not a ton of plays. Tennessee ran 72 plays. But when you give up, uh, you know, 238 yards rushing, it's going to be tough to win. Welcome back in in the bonus. He's Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head on Reaction Monday. Coach Beamer talking after the game on Saturday about the defense and their struggles that they had against the Volunteers. As you mentioned, 238 yards surrendered on the ground. You know, talk about a balanced offense. Milton threw for 239 yards. So about as balanced as balance can be there. And we knew that was going to be the thing for Tennessee coming into this game. If they were able to run the ball at the clip that they were able to do through those first four games, it was going to be a long night for South Carolina. As uh, Coach Beamer mentioned there, they had run for about 80 yards there before halftime, but just absolutely exploded in that second half. And, you know, as much as we lofted praise on South Carolina's defensive front last week, finally getting that push, finally getting that penetration against Mississippi State, it all came unraveled on Saturday night. Yeah, we talked a lot about stopping the run. Um, They didn't do that. Tennessee had a stuff rate of just 10.5%. It's not good. Um, And South Carolina struggled to set the edge. They struggled to fit the runs in the front seven. And when you do all of those things, that combines to allow, you're putting these corners on an island and you put them in tough spots because you can't stop the run so you're having to commit more guys to it. And when that happens, it's really, 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 really tough to do much of anything. And um, you saw the result because the secondary, I thought, played fine. I thought they weren't great, but they played fine. You pick off a pass. Uh, Jalen Kilgore continues to play really well. Uh, but when you can't stop the run, especially against a team that wants to run the ball and can create some explosive plays in the run game, it, it paves the way for a long night defensively. And he, we talked about this as a key to the game going into the end of last week, making Joe Milton do things that he was not comfortable with. And one thing you knew about Joe Milton is balls down the field were not – what he's good at throwing. Yes, he can throw the ball 80, 90 yards, whatever it is, but he's not accurate with it. And I went back and charted every single pass, and I may be off by one or two here. He only threw four passes greater than 11 yards on Saturday night, and I believe he only hit the one, which his receiver had to make kind of an athletic catch with, so even that wasn't perfect, and he obviously had the two interceptions as well, but he dinked and dunked and nickeled and dimed this South Carolina defense all night long to get to those 239 yards. It the pressure didn't get to him. You didn't have, I think, but one sack. When you pressured him, which was only on, again, seven dropbacks of his 34, he was two for five with a pick. And that's what you want. Uh, When he was kept clean, he completed 70% of his passes, had a touchdown, had one pick in there. But uh, you didn't pressure him. You didn't get him off his spot. You didn't force any sacks. You didn't force any negative plays. And when Tennessee can stay on schedule, that's when they're dangerous. Tennessee had a success rate for South Carolina. South Carolina has a success rate of 36%. And that was pretty standard throughout the game. 39% in the first quarter, 33, 36, 33. Tennessee had a success rate of 51%, which is just staggeringly good. Yep. Um, 75% in the first quarter and uh, 50% in the fourth quarter. So they just... They stayed ahead of the change. They didn't do anything crazy. They ran the ball, and and you couldn't stop it. And when that happens, it makes for a long night because South Carolina has kind of been their bugaboo, um, just kind of been the biggest issue if you're South Carolina. Um, 
So that's gotta that's gotta be fixed as you look ahead. And the only tackle for loss South Carolina had the uh, in the entire game. You mentioned how much pressure gained Joe Milton was the one sack that Van Martin Scott had sometime in the first half there. But yeah, and Milton for somebody that we knew had a little bit of a dinged up knee mm-hmm. coming into this game after the game against UTSA last weekend. Again, just being able to force him off his spot, make him throw on the run, which is something again he's not good at. No. And he just sat back there in a clean and comfortable pocket pretty much the entire night and, and picked this South Carolina defense apart at, at, at most levels. Yeah. And again, I think the secondary played well enough for you to win. The problem is, is that when they're having to defend, when they're having to defend for four seconds, five seconds, of right. course they're going to find some some people open. So I do have some stats for you. Oh boy. By the way. Yes. Lay them on me. This is offensive. Okay. We talked about, as I'm tinkering with the spreadsheet, we talk about this offense not being, when it's not hitting explosive plays, then it bogs down. Right. So South Carolina lat on, what was that, Saturday, mm-hmm. averaged 5.3 yards per play uh, with a success rate of about 36.5%, which isn't good. 5 point whatever yards per play is fine. Yeah. Success rate of 36.5% not great. It's very average to below average. When they were not hitting explosive plays, a yards per play of just 2.3 and a success rate of 29.8%. And keep in mind, one of those explosives was your fake punt for 32 yards. Yes. So your offense created five explosive plays on the night. Mario Anderson's 75-yard run was just the second run by a running back this year. For at least 12 yards and he uh he popped for another one i think it was for nine yards yes later on in the game but that was that and was it i think he averaged under three yards a three yards a carry when he taking away the well yeah because if you take away the 75 yard run he went nine carries for 26 yards with nine of those coming on one or 10 10 of those coming on one yeah like, pretty much you're just not efficient in the run game right now it's boomer bust and when it's either no gain or 75 yards teams can defend that Teams right. will get, say, okay, that's if you hit a 75-yarder on us, fine, whatever. Right. But the odds of you doing that again are slow or small. It, it is Reaction Monday. I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Certainly head back out to the Love Chevrolet phone lines now. Welcome in our guy, Barry, who has some thoughts about Saturday night. Barry, what's on your mind today? Uh, how you guys doing, first of all, all right? Doing good. As good right. as we can be. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, bro. Listen, as far as the tackles go, uh, I either saw the greatest defensive end uh, against Bob Lottie or I saw, like, one of the worst offensive tackles ever. I have never seen anybody get beat that easily play after play after play. I mean, he didn't even deter the guy across the line. So that's a huge issue there, uh, not counting the other, other tackle. Uh, the other thing that I have a problem with is the fact for six quarters now, defensively, they've been gashed on the ground, play after play after play. First down, seven yards. Second down, six yards. First down, eight yards. You're leaving everybody second and two, second and three. Uh, that's not going to cut it. That's defensive line is not playing well at all, especially when I believe I'm correct. The two safeties were the leading tacklers in the game. That's not a good sign of what your defensive line is doing. And as far as Rattler's concerned, you know, until, they, you, until you start getting points, 
for, for completion percentage and yardage. Uh, the most important thing I think out of a quarterback is uh, touchdowns responsible for. And if you look at his touchdowns responsible for, with all that yardage and all that completion ratio, you know, all the yards between the goal line and the other goal line mean nothing. You've got to cross that thing for it to mean anything. So, you know, until he increases his production as far as producing points, not throwing 9 out of 10 or 20 out of 20 and 300 yards and lose a football game, that's, that's not what we're here to do. So that's my point. He's got to be able to throw some touchdown passes, man. He's got to be able to throw some touchdown passes. He's at seven right now. We've got a guy like Caleb Williams, I think, 21 with one interception. A lot of guys up there, 15, 17, no interceptions. Biggest downside of him right now is not producing touchdowns. See what you guys think. All right, Britt, very appreciate the call as always. Again, 803-404-6100. Love Chevrolet phone lines and same number for the Firehouse Subs text line. And, and yeah, obviously uh, uh, some good points made there by uh, – by Barry, I can't remember who's who's matched up with Tree on the uh, on the left side there. I think they moved it around. It was moved P- it around. Pierce was one of them, I think. And with Tree, it's one thing where we we talked about it. You're gonna when you play freshman, you're sure. gonna have growing pains, and sure. you go through those growing pains. And he did not have a good game. He and Wanamaker both did not have a good game on Saturday. And that's one of those things where when you're playing a what is a talented freshman, right? You're going to have some of those moments, and you just hope they don't come back to really, really bite you when they did Saturday. This is also one of those kind of games for Tree, for Tro, that you wonder how this affects them going forward. Because he said, I just shake the game off, go on to the next one. But when you're a true freshman in the SEC, and you go out there and get embarrassed like you did on Saturday night, that can have lingering effects and affect your confidence going forward. And I'm really interested to see how both these guys, as well as the entire offensive line as a whole, responds against Florida in 12 days. Yeah, because now you have 12 days to prepare for it. Um, so it's going to be really, really interesting to see how how they do um, and how South Carolina schemes things up against them Um to, to make it a little bit easier for him against a front that can be disruptive. Right. Again, it's a Reaction Monday. We'll be reacting to what happened on Saturday night all day long and certainly letting you guys vent your frustrations as well. Coming up as we close out today's edition of In the Bonus, we'll have a little bit of a reprieve. We'll talk about one of our favorite topics, the oddities of college football, hopefully give you a reason to smile this morning, maybe laugh a little bit too. As Reaction Monday rolls on, it's In the Bonus. He's Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head here on The Game. Oh, now LSU. They'll probably be thinking about using their timeouts. Harris makes a man miss. Painter, touchdown. Welcome back into In the Bonus. He's Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head here on your Reaction Monday. We'll certainly continue to react all day long to what happened between the Gamecocks and the Volunteers on Saturday night up in Neyland Stadium. We'll take a quick aside here. Hopefully give you a little bit of a reason to smile and maybe laugh a little bit as we talk about our oddities of college football for week number five. That was the call on ESPN on Saturday night. Trey Harris taking in the game-winning touchdown for Ole Miss. 55-49 to over LSU. This game had a combined 1,343 yards of offense. Um... We're a far cry away from the days of the late 2000s where every game ended up being like 13 to 7. 
Well, it was weird. I don't get to watch a ton of football, especially when I'm on the road. So I didn't get to watch a ton of games this weekend. But I had this one on working in the press box kind of before the game. Yeah, it, it took forever. Well, that was the funniest part. I turned it on and I was like, oh, it's 35-31. It might be like late in the game. And I was like, nope, there's nine minutes to go in the third quarter. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. And so like you're you're keeping track of it. So I didn't get to see a ton. But yeah, it was like. It was back and forth actually, and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Like, what is actually happening right now? The funniest one, the funniest thing from that was the lone security guard oh at the goodness. end that was trying to pass pro people off the field. Like he was like doing like kick steps and like just throwing hands up at him. And he, he got he got the one he girl got, with the forearm. He threw like the elbow up at her, and then I think she was, I think her equilibrium was off. She's a little 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 uh, yeah. sideways. Yeah. Um, how about this? I think you could have blown on her, and she would have probably tipped over. Yeah, she she couldn't keep her feet under. Yeah. Um, he throws the forearm, and she just. Which, by the way, why are you storming the field after beating the number thirteen team in the country? Yeah, come um, on, be better than that. That's pretty funny to me. Couple more oddities to hit. Uh, Fresno State playing Nevada on Saturday night. Um, lights go out. Literally in the third quarter, the, every light in the stadium went out on a kick return. You know what's wild? What's that? We were watching that game in our hotel room after Tennessee. Really? Our power was out at the hotel while their power went out. Oh, my goodness. It was one of those where we pulled off the highway and we're like, this looks, did everything close? And we're yeah. like, no. like no, the, the power's out. We were like, this just looks too dark. And they were like, well, there's a Waffle House right up the road and like, there's no lights on in the Waffle House. Yeah, if the Waffle House is lights we did out, the, you got a problem. We did the old Southern thing where it's like, well, if the Waffle House is shutting down, like, like there's yeah, something wrong there, here. This is a big problem. Yeah. Get out of town. So watching that one with the lights out was hilarious. Yeah, that's... I love on a the, hot spot with like cell phones on, like I, flashlights. I, I, I love the collective gasp the entire like crowd <gasps> did. <gasps> like when something like unexpected happens in a play or something like that. Yes. So that, that was pretty good. I loved it. Uh, play of the day, though. Texas State taking on Southern Miss. Do you remember TJ Finley? Oh, yeah. That's my boy. Played at LSU yeah. and later at Auburn. Now is a Texas State Bobcat. I Bob- watched him shred South Carolina. Bobcats backed up way in their own territory in this game. Leading 42-10, to 10, I think, at this point in time. Had a pretty handy lead. Mm-hmm. TJ Finley is in the process of getting sat. As he's going to the ground, he manages, and I don't know if this counted as a pass or if it counted as a run, probably as a pass, he manages to get the ball in the hands of his running back, Ismail Mahdi, who proceeds to turn it up the sidelines, run all the way down the field. Again, they're like backed up on their own five when this happens. Runs it all the way down the field, and half a step before he gets in the end zone, ball gets chopped out. Bounces out of the back of the end zone. It's a touchback, and Southern Miss gets the ball. Fantastic. Uh, not as stupid as the fourth down conversion in the UCF Baylor game. No, not that, <laughs> not that crazy. But yeah, uh, I love it. Pretty nutty. Yeah, I love every second of this. So essentially, it was like a very long punt. You know what? You take it. It's you know how they call them arm punts. Sure. This was a fumble punt. And, and look. Texas State ended up winning the game handily anyway. They didn't necessarily need that touchdown. No. But it's like all that work just to give the other team a touchback. Like, come right. on. Like, you did you did everything right. You used the right formula and got the wrong answer. Exactly. Uh, last one here. I know this isn't college football, and you were probably driving back at this point in time. 
Did you check out any of the Toy Story game between oh, we the Jaguars and the Falcons yeah, yesterday? We were, we were seeing clips of it on the road. That was trippy, man. Yeah. Like, that was uh, playing in, in Andy's bedroom. Um, that was that was an experience. We need more of this. Presidential debates, Toy Story style. <laughs> the All-Star game, Toy Story style. Yeah. The nightly news. I want to see this extrapolated to the nth degree across media. And, and you know what? I appreciated the fine details. Like, the claw was spotting the ball. Yeah. Slinky, the s- slink was. Any, anytime there was a penalty, like, Slinky was backing <laughs> That's up. That's got to be so demoralizing, too. And, uh, shout out to, uh, was I think it was Ian Eagle and Booger McFarland that were yeah. doing the call. Because, like, they're in the process of calling this game, and then randomly, like, hey, there's Buzz Lightyear. Like, and just trying to keep a straight face about it. Yeah. Like, props to you guys. I love the... We have to measure where the ball is with like a bunch of middle-aged men with chains, but we yeah. can s- structure this entire thing. It really? just it's it's hilarious to me. Really makes you wonder, huh? Yep. All right, more reaction Monday rolling along here as uh, we talk about the Gamecocks falling forty-one to twenty to the Volunteers on Saturday. Coming up next, the extra point here on the game. It's Reaction Monday. Tell us all about it. Jump bowling caught at the twenty-one yard line. Catches, and he's got the game cocks inside the 25. Sponsored by Carolina Honda Powerhouse, your local Honda superstore for motorcycles, ATVs, side-by-sides, scooters, and generators. CarolinaHonda.com. Your home of the Gamecocks in the Midlands. 107.5 The Game. Also heard on the Grand Strand at 100.3 The Game. And in the PD at 100.5 The Game in Florence. And welcome into the Extra Point. Tyler, head along with you on this Monday morning, Reaction Monday, here on the game. Wish it were more fun things to react to, but unfortunately not. Gamecocks do fall to the Volunteers 41-20 to on Saturday night up there in Neyland Stadium in Knoxville to drop to 2-3 and three on the season. And the worst part about all that is now you have to stew on that in the bye week for the next 12 days until Florida comes into town. Uh, the kickoff time for that game will be announced later on today when we learn uh, the rest of the week. That'd be week seven slate, I guess. Um, might be a nooner. Might actually finally get our first noon game for South Carolina this year after having consistent home games through the first couple of homers um, as Colin pumps his fist in the studio. Uh, <laughs> night games make for a long night for guys like Colin, who obviously have plenty of post-game obligations to do there. Um, how are you feeling? From Saturday. It's Reaction Monday. Let me know. Uh, Firehouse subs text on 803-404-6100. It's been a roller coaster of a year so far. And it's funny because Preston, uh, after the week one game against North Carolina, welcomed me to the roller coaster ride that is South Carolina football. And, um, oh boy, these first these first five weeks have certainly had their shares of ups and downs. Very Jekyll and Hyde where you feel like one way, like, okay, Figuring it out, good in these areas, maybe not so good in these areas, but maybe we can work around it. And then the next week, it's like, okay, well, we look worse here, we look better there, and it's just going back and forth. Saturday, I think collectively, was the definitely the worst game overall that this team has played because you go back to North Carolina in week number one, and yes, the offensive line was awful in that game. Rattler gets sacked nine times, but Rattler still played a really good game. Xavier Leggett still had a really good game. 
Um, the defense did give up a lot of yards on the ground, but like Drake May didn't explode for 350, 400 yards. Like I think a lot of people are expecting him. Now they didn't necessarily need him to do that, but still, that's something positive you could have taken away from that game. You uh, you beat Furman. That's what you're supposed to do. You beat Furman, and obviously you feel good just getting back in the win column on that. You go to Georgia. Again, you have a 14-3 halftime lead over the defending back-to-back national champions. Like, that's great. And yeah, you lose the game by 10, but you know, not to be Silver Linings guy, but it's like, wow, we were supposed to lose by four touchdowns, and you came away feeling a whole lot better from that game. Still some areas to clean up, obviously. And then Mississippi State. You limit what it was a really good ground attack with Woody Marks, keep him in check for just 27 yards. And now, yes, Will Rogers ends up exploding for almost 500 yards through the air, but you did enough to win. And once again, one thing that was consistent through those first four games was Spencer Rattler looking like the best quarterback in the SEC, maybe one of the best quarterbacks in the country through those first four weeks of the season. Fortunately, Saturday night, nobody looked great. And it led to the 21-point loss to Volunteers. We talked about it at the end of last week. We didn't really know why this line ended up being at 12 by the time the game rolled around because it certainly seemed like on paper these two teams were very evenly matched. And we, most of us here thought, gave our predictions to Gamecock Central at the end of the week that it was going to be a four-quarter fight that very likely was going to come down to one of the last possessions of the game, whether that be a late touchdown, a last-second field goal, whatever it may be. That obviously didn't end up happening. Tennessee won in every facet of the game. Maybe not special teams. Kai Kroger got the fake punt off to Xavier Leggett for pretty much one of the only explosive plays that South Carolina had on the night on Saturday. So, so South Carolina maybe won on special teams, but that's pretty much it. Defense didn't look good. Offense didn't look good. It was a rough night up there in Neyland Stadium. And now, again, you're limping into the bye week, having to stew on this for 12 whole days before the Florida Gators come into town and you move on with the second half of your season. Let's hear a little bit about what Coach Beamer had to say about what went down on Saturday night as he gave his overall thoughts after the game. Congratulations to uh, Tennessee. They played really, really well. Uh, That was an awesome uh, college football environment tonight and uh, they made plays you know we uh, were going to look back at this thing and there were a lot of missed opportunities from our standpoint you know third downs and four down, fourth downs that <clears throat> we get in convert when you go um, two of 14 on third down and you go two of five on fourth down conversions uh, it's it, you make it tough on yourself you know we sit there and and, uh, and uh, you know we go we have a third down We have a third down that uh, early on the first drive, run the route, the wrong depth. Uh, we have a, a fourth down where we <clears throat> the route depth is not where it needs to be. Those are two critical plays in the first half. We fake the punt. We have a field position plus territory. We get no points out of it. That's tough. Um, you know, we give up a touchdown on the opening drive to start the second half. But proud of our players, the way they battled. Fourth down inches, and we can't get six inches on a fourth down. It's disappointing. You know, field position was tough all night. But, you know, having said that, we cut it to a two-score game with nine minutes left in the game. And we allow them to go 75 yards right down the field for a touchdown, which is disappointing. So, you know, proud of the effort of our guys. But we, um, we um, did not play 
well enough to win the game. When you're on the road in the SEC, you've got to capitalize on your opportunities. And we did do a great job of capitalizing on our um, on our opportunities tonight. So. Obviously, a laundry list of issues there that Beamer mentioned happening on Saturday night. And he mentioned there, even getting to making it a relatively close game in the second half. You obviously had um, Mario Anderson explode for that run in the third quarter that got you the touchdown. But it, it it never felt like South Carolina really had a shot to me. Even when they took the lead 10-7 earlier on in the first quarter, like Tennessee didn't waste much time going back down the field and, and scoring pretty soon after that. Like Tennessee controlled this entire game. You never felt like South Carolina was like, okay, well, if they just get this stop here, then get a touchdown, they'll, they'll be back in it. It never felt that way. It felt like they were out of control the entire time, and certainly the eye test proved that. South Carolina's offensive line just gets absolutely bullied the entire game, specifically at the tackle spots. Tree Babalade, Tyshawn Wanamaker just getting put on roller skates, play after play after play. And, you know, Rattler getting sacked, what, six times in the game? That's, you know, the the shades of what we saw in week number one against North Carolina. And, and I get it. This was one of the better defensive fronts in the entire country coming into this game in Tennessee. And South Carolina has obviously had their struggles on the offensive line. We finally gotten to a point where we know for the most part who the starting five are. So they're finally getting that cohesion and playing together snap after snap after snap that we've been waiting for. And while, yes, it was definitely a matchup that favored Tennessee a little bit more, I don't think it should have looked this bad. And I don't think, again, Tree Babalade, Trevon Ball, those guys are freshmen. But man, even freshmen, as highly touted as they were, shouldn't have been expected to go in there and have that poor of a performance on Saturday night. And the offensive line as a whole just looked atrocious. For Sean Lee, as Colin mentioned last hour, the only one that gave up a singular pressure, everybody else giving up a total of five. And all the sacks weren't on them. Spencer Rattler did step up into some ill-advised situations, ran into a few sacks, under pressure, made some bad throws. Like Again, this is the sum of all the parts not clicking very well. And now you fall to two and three. And it really begs the question of what does the rest of this season look like? Had a texter on the Firehouse Stugs text line way in a little bit earlier, 803-404-6100. Certainly wanted to get your reactions as well. Uh, Mike asked, let me pose a question. What do you think is more likely the Gamecocks lose five of their remaining seven games or they win five of their remaining seven games and why? It's tough to say. And... The SEC as a whole, looks college football as a whole, really, has been so topsy-turvy this year where we definitively don't really know who the true powers are as of right now. Where You know, you look at Georgia, they're undefeated, and they haven't, um, you know, lost a game, obviously. Um, but they don't look like the number one team in the country necessarily. They certainly have their inefficiencies. Squeaked by with a, a close win over Auburn this past Saturday. I mean, Texas looks pretty good, pretty complete all the way around. They had some you know, more close than comfort wins against what Wyoming a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, you look at a team like Washington that a lot of people, including myself, have lofted a lot of praise at and said, wow, they might be the best team in the country. And then they just barely end up squeaking by an Arizona team on Saturday night. They should have beaten pretty handily. So that's just college football as a whole. But when you look at the rest of South Carolina's schedule and the teams they're going to face in the SEC, I think we can go ahead and throw out there, they're going to be Jacksonville State for the first game of that four-game homestand to close out the season. So I'll go ahead and put that one to the side. All right, there's win number three. But, of course, you got to get to 
six wins to get to bowl eligibility. Well, you bring in Florida this next game, 12 days from now, the, uh, uh, after the bye week, and very similarly to Tennessee, that's a team that can run the ball down your throat. Montreal Johnson, uh, Trevor Etienne, that's going to be their MO, is to run the ball against South Carolina team that, again, proved on Saturday night they have a very tough time stopping the run, despite what we saw against Mississippi State this past weekend. So that one's uh, could go either way. I think we all saw Missouri as maybe one of the easier games on the schedule, but they're playing as good as they can play right now. Um, undefeated. Picked up a win against Vanderbilt, you know, pretty routinely on Saturday. Now, they got an interesting test against LSU this weekend, and look, they beat LSU. Um, the optimism of South Carolina beating Missouri out in Como is going to go down drastically. Brady Cooks looked amazing so far this year. 11 touchdowns, no interceptions. Luther Burden is maybe the best wide receiver in the entire country. Xavier Leggett came into Saturday as the uh, leader in total yardage for wide receivers in FBS. Luther Burden now holds that mark after the game against LSU. Texas A&M. You lose Connor Wegman after the Auburn game the other week. Max Johnson, very highly touted prospect in his own right, comes in. They look pretty good on Saturday against against Arkansas. Going on the road to Kyle Field out in College Station, not an easy thing to do. And having those games back-to-back, that's tough. Then you finally get, home for the, get to come home for the homestand. Like I said, you'll beat Jacksonville State. That shouldn't be an issue. Vanderbilt should win that one as well. Okay, now we've definitively, I'd say, gotten to four wins. Um, and Kentucky, a, a team that you beat a year ago that coming into the season, again, you felt like was probably one of the games that you're going to be favored in. This is a different Kentucky team. You watched them on Saturday. You, maybe that was your first time watching Kentucky all season. Ray freaking Davis, man. Ray freaking Davis ran all over Florida's defense in that game. Had 200 yards in the first half. And when you look at what South Carolina wasn't able to do on Saturday, stopping the run against a not great offensive front in Tennessee. They've had questions on their offensive line as well. But, man, they ran the ball down down South Carolina's throat, and that's going to be the M.O. for Florida. That's going to be the M.O. for Kentucky. And and as many of these teams that feel like they have a decent running game, that's going to be their M.O. against South Carolina is just to come in and run the ball down their throat. So you beg a good question. What is the what is the more likely scenario, them winning five, them, uh, winning five of these games or losing five of these games? It could go either way. I'll, I'll say that much. Now, I know that's kind of a cop-out answer, but if you told me that they won, and again, you still got Clemson at the end of the year, that could go either way as well. But as far as conference games go, with five more re- remaining, if you told me they were going to split that two and three, I wouldn't be shocked. Let's say you beat Vanderbilt, and then, I don't know, maybe you beat Florida as well. Maybe you can, maybe you can hold the rush a little bit for scrammers to do things they're not comfortable with. Like that wouldn't shock me. I, I, it's just been so up and down this year, and it's so tough to make sense of this team, especially with a defense that hasn't been able to stop anybody really consistently. And that reared its ugly head once again on Saturday night. Something else that reared its ugly head on Saturday night was something I talked about at the end of last week that is now very much becoming an issue with this team. I'll tell you what that is coming up as Reaction Monday rolls along. I'm Tyler Head. It's the extra point here on the game.
Two wide receivers over to the right side, a tight end in that direction as well. Omega Blake comes in motion, handoff. That's Mario Anderson at the middle. He's loose at the 40. He's opening gone. it up He's to 50. Yeah. At the 30 of Tennessee at the 20. Mario Anderson goes 75 yards. Are you kidding me? No flags. <laughs> Touchdown, Carolina. Touchdown, Mario Anderson. Just what the doctor ordered. <laughs> and that was a big run up the middle from your big back. Welcome back into the X Point. Tyler Head along with you. That was the voice of... Todd Ellis on the call, Mario Anderson in the third quarter, running for the 75-yard touchdown for the Gamecocks to cut the lead to 31-17 to again there in the third quarter. Great moment, one of the few highlights we saw on Saturday night from the Gamecocks. That being said, I talked about this on Friday leading up to the game. South Carolina has a third-quarter problem this season if you take away mario anderson's touchdown run you take away the carry on joint not to carry on joiner excuse me xavier Leggett's touchdown catch and run uh or catch against um mississippi state last weekend which funny enough was also right there at 75 yards i think his actually went 76 do you know how many yards per play south carolina is averaging in the third quarter if you exclude those two Specific plays themselves. 2.4 yards per play. And those two touchdowns are the only two that Carolina has scored in the third quarter against Power 5 opponents this season. I'll exclude the Furman stuff. That's an FCS team. That's different numbers. Can really skew these stats a lot. So I'm only focusing on the four games they played against Power 5 teams. North Carolina, week number one, 17 plays, 26 yards, and zero points in the third quarter. Georgia, nine plays. 27 yards, zero points. Last week against Mississippi State, nine plays, 102 yards, seven points. Take away the one explosive play to Xavier Leggett, and what, you're down to 27 yards again on just eight plays. Past weekend, 10 plays, 101 yards, seven points. Take away Mario Anderson's explosive play, 26 yards on just nine plays and no other points. This is a problem. And you ask the question of why is it so important to score in the third quarter? Because it often sets the tone for the rest of the game. And last week against Mississippi State, you were obviously able to get things back rolling again in the fourth quarter and win. Tight game, 37-30. to Um, Any semblance of momentum that you had was killed in the third quarter of this game after that touchdown run. Let's go through the sequence of the third quarter. Tennessee comes out and gets the touchdown to start the third quarter, goes up 31-10. South Carolina immediately responds with that touchdown. Again, one play, 75 yards, and the fact that Mario Anderson was able to break into the open field with how bad the offensive line had been on Saturday night was nothing short of a miracle, certainly. Tennessee goes three and out. Punts the ball away. South Carolina then goes on that short drive and turns it over on downs in the Tennessee 35, to which Tennessee drives and then throws an interception. Jalen Kilgore makes the interception deep in Tennessee territory, and South Carolina does nothing with it. They end up punting after gaining no yards. Tennessee turns that into a field goal. South Carolina ends up going down the field in the fourth quarter and getting their first field goal, their last field goal of the game to make it 20, 34-20. But again, you just they were never in it. 
they never felt like they were in it because any kind of momentum that they would have had coming out of the half, generating from scoring a touchdown, forcing your opponent to go three and out, they couldn't do anything with. Again, the next two drives, you go 10 plays, just 31 yards, you turn it over on downs, and you end up punting. You can't roll anything over, and it's great to have these one, this big one explosive play on each of these two drives in these past two weeks. That's fine, but if you can't do anything else outside of that, you're not going to have a lot of success. And I went back and looked, and this is something that's been a bit of an issue over the past couple of years, really. Again, these are numbers just against Power 5 opponents in the third quarter. This season, South Carolina is averaging 3.5 points per game in the third quarter against Power 5 opponents. Last year, a little bit better, 6.2. 2021, back down to 3.8. So this has just been an inconsistent thing when it comes to the third quarter under Shane Beamer. What does success look like? What does continued success look like when it comes to the third quarter, and how does it translate? Let's go back a decade ago when South Carolina was on their streak of winning 11 games a season. 2011, 6.2 points per game against Power 5 opponents in the third quarter. 2012, 7.1. 2013, 6.9. So you see how this correlates and translates? It's important. It matters. Now you think, oh, it's more important to score in the fourth quarter because that's the end of the game. That, That matters plenty too. But this third quarter is so important for setting yourself up for the fourth quarter because again if South Carolina can go out there and make something out of one of those other two drives then you're talking about a different ball game going into the fourth quarter you're down 31 to 17 after you force Tennessee to go three and out if you can drive down the field and get that touchdown again cut it to a seven point game whole different story here whole different vibe momentum is back on your side the whole nine yards and you couldn't do it now, we also beg the question of, when we get into this a little bit more later, the play calling, which, again, through four games, I feel like we've all been pretty fair at saying that Dow Loggins has done a solid job given the inefficiencies that they've had across various parts of the offense. Offensive line, being without Juice Wells, running back situation, like, he's done a fine job. Saturday night was the first time that I really started scratching my head at some of his decision-making. And some of that goes on Beamer, too, because, of course, they're, they're correlating on these things. I don't know if Spencer Rattler's the guy to run a quarterback sneak on fourth and one. He's not that big body. Maybe that's where you run out Lenore Sellers. Maybe that's where you, I don't know, to carry on joiners, somebody. Like, it just does not seem like that's a play more fit for Spencer Rattler. And I get it, you're running tempo. You know, you don't want to sub or anything like that. But maybe you think about doing that a little bit differently. Speaking of short yardage, the third and ones, third and twos. My experience in play calling is Madden and NCAA football. But even I know when you're in a third and short situation, especially if your offensive line's not been blocking too well, probably shouldn't do the running back draw with the delayed handoff in the backfield. It's probably not going to give you a high rate of success. But we saw that happen several times on Saturday night. And it just makes me wonder why. What what would you think was going to happen there? So again, for the entire season, I feel like Dow Loggins is doing a solid job. Saturday night, a little bit of a question mark. Hopefully it's something you clean up. Hopefully you address these issues when you look back on tape and say, wow, we shouldn't have done this. We should have done this instead. And you improve going forward. That's the best thing you can do. You got two weeks to think about it before Florida comes to town. But third quarter, 
has to improve. When you talk about this defense already struggling, when they're having a tough enough time slowing